Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And good morning. I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 23-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're the co-founders of Breast Friends, and we're really excited today to have a guest who authored a book by the title, Living Life Loudly. I love that t- I know, title. It's a great Isn't title. Isn't it great? So, I wish I'd thought of it. It's really uh, awesome. It is a great title. So Victoria Porter Kramer is uh, with us today. So welcome, Victoria. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, ladies. And happy absolutely. Friday. Yes, absolutely. It's good to hear your voice. So uh, do me a favor and just kind of introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit of your story. Sure. Um, again, my name is Victoria Kramer, and I'm a pretty typical chick, I think. Um, <laughs> a little bit crazy from time to time, but I would still say pretty typical. Well, you're um, not that typical. You're a mountain bike <laughs> racer. I mean, you know, really. <laughs> All right, I do hear that from my friends as well, but it's all relative. Uh, let's see, I'm a mother of twin three-year-old girls. I am a leadership consultant. I've had my own business for five years. Um, I came from, I put my career first and then family next, and I came from the world, uh, the hotel world. So I worked for Marriott Hotels for 18 years and um, and got a lot of my ideas and principles from literally growing up in that world. Um, let's see what else. I live in Arizona, and I would classify myself. Oh, is it my... warm there? Is it really <laughs> warm and toasty it's, there? It's pretty delightful, yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say I love it and think it's delightful in the summer, but I've gotten very used to it having uh, grown up here. <laughs> yeah, it's been really rainy here. Of course, we're in Oregon. That's sort of par for the course. But I see blue out there in the clouds. It's yeah, kind of cool. it's actually going to be 60 degrees, so we're, we're okay today. <laughs> that's, that's quite cold to me, but yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's, see, it's all perception, right? Absolutely. Um, let's see. I, and I'd say the only other thing is that I would probably classify myself a bit as um, an adrenaline junkie, perhaps, and um, and leader. I just love to lead. It doesn't matter whether it's a cycling team or an all-women's triathlon team or in um, my work world. So there you have it. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about where breast cancer came in this. Uh... Yeah. So I guess, you know, we're all human, so we're all going to have a monumental speed bump at some point in our lives. One of those ones that just kind of knocks you off your feet and catches you off guard. And and mine just, I, I thought, I actually thought that it had already hit me when I was told that I was having twins. But apparently that was, <laughs> um, nope, that wasn't exactly the monumental one. And I'm sure wow. I'll have more. But um, while I was pregnant is when um, we discovered a lump. However, it wasn't until they were eight months old um, that I got the definitive you've got breast cancer um, conversation. Yep. And that was, um, so October is when I had it removed. And, um, and so that uh, two years ago, so I am two and a half years cancer free. 
So can I go back and ask you a question about that? Because I'm curious, and and I was kind of curious when I was reading that in your bio. Um, So you found a lump, but they didn't, and that was while you were pregnant, but it took all that time to, was it, did you just wait to have the biopsy or what what happened? That's uh, is interesting. I've listened to several of the people that you've talked to as well and interviewed mm-hmm. on this show. And much like um, many of the people you've had conversations with, it was supposed to be nothing, right? It was supposed oh, yes. to be, um, no, it's you've never been pregnant before. So it's really just a clogged milk duct. Uh, as soon yeah. as your girls come out, um, when they come out, your clogged milk duct will clear itself up and it'll be nothing. Yeah. And um, struggled with trying to produce any milk, trying to get that particular breast to actually cooperate. So I just, you know, threw in the towel at three months and said, I I can't seem to give these girls enough nutrition. Let's just call it good enough. Mm. And um, as soon as I did, it's a good thing that I stopped at only three months because if I had tried to prolong it, then it obviously would have taken longer to catch this. So um, my OBGYN knew me quite well and knew that I was very adverse to surgery or um, any kind of, I just really try to avoid having to do too much in terms of doctors and health. Um, that obviously has had to change. But uh, he says, I really would like you to go get a mammogram. And so I did. And it came back inconclusive, which is a word that uh, I would call a trigger word. I just do not like that word today because it kept coming up. And so he sent yeah. me back and said, okay, how about let's go get an ultrasound. And that came back inconclusive as well. Oh, no. Oh, my. Yeah, wow. lots, of, lots of inconclusive, inconclusive. So that yeah. word is uh, ingrained in me. So at this point, the girls are about six or seven months old. And he says, you know, I know you're going to hate hearing this, but I really feel like you should just go get it taken off. It's just a small lump. Just go get it taken off and then it'll be biopsied. And we'll just put this to rest. And at least I won't feel worry that your girls could could potentially grow up without a mother. And those words. (laughs) Oh, knife to the heart. Pretty hard. So, of course, the guilt set in. I said, "Okay, fine. Yeah. So, um, however, when I met with the surgeon, the surgeon said, look, even if it is cancer, which I don't believe it is, I believe it's a cyst, but even if it is, it grows really slow. You've got like six weeks worth of great trips planned to introduce your girls to all kinds of family. Take that six weeks and then when you get back, let's biopsy it. There's no need to do it right now. So I just thought, well, sure, I, I like that idea. Let's postpone that. Um, and so then finally, once it happened, I didn't get the results for about, I feel like it was about three weeks after the biopsy because she was a doctor that had never had to deliver those results before. Oh, and yeah. she didn't quite know how to do it, was hoping that maybe my OBGYN would get back into the country from one of his trips and and that he could share the news with me. So she waited and waited and waited. So all that time passed because of the amount of um, inconsistent, you know, inconclusive uh, conversations and, and yeah. results and then combination of kind of a lack of a desire to really need to hurry or rush. So mm-hmm. finally, you know, you really, you really bring up a good point. And, you know, honestly, Victoria, we have, we have had a lot of guests that had some kind of, I don't want to call it a misdiagnosis, but maybe a false start. That was yeah. kind of my story too. You know, mine was, um, I found my lump in my mid thirties and I went for a mammogram right away because I was just kind of scared and, yep. and they told me it was fibrous tissue and I didn't need to worry about it. And, you know, so that, I, I don't want to call it a misdiagnosis because at that point in time, it probably was 
you know, just fibrous tissue, but things change over time. But I guess the point that I want to make with what you're sharing here is, you know, sometimes we we get the news we want to hear, and so we don't go any further with it, but that news is not correct. Or it's not total or, you know, it's not giving you the whole picture. So, you know, if you have anything going on that doesn't feel right or doesn't seem normal, get it checked and maybe insist that they check, you know, pretty thoroughly. So, yeah, Yeah, being, being your own health advocate is a huge piece of this puzzle because, again, we know our own body and what isn't supposed to be there especially if we feel something um and it and it changes or it is it's in there and it hasn't ever been in there before you noticed it and those kinds of things so yes i definitely agree with that becky yeah and the the to your point the being your own health advocate sounds easy to do but when you're you know when you're floundering in a a world that you don't you just don't know you don't know where to turn or what Mm -hmm. terms to ask for what to ask for what don't you just don't know what you don't know so it's hard to be your own advocate and I am fortunate and that's why I actually wrote the book I think I'm fortunate that I don't have a problem bucking the system or being very (laughs) strong in my convictions and um, it wasn't until though about 23 I interviewed a lot of doctors and about 23 doctors in is when I finally said, you know what, I'm getting nowhere with the plastic surgeons getting on my page. So let's just put that to the side for right now. And I'm going to go find a naturopathic doctor because that's in my checklist of people I need on my team. And it wasn't actually until I met him that he said words that really pushed me to um, I would say move up the sense of urgency on how quickly I needed to get a surgery planned. And okay. he said words that really knocked me off my feet that up until that point, not a single doctor that had looked at my um, pathology, not a single one put a sense of urgency. It was kind of, you know what, it's the fourth quarter. Everyone's getting their surgeries, their elective surgeries done. Uh. Um, so, and in Arizona, of course, all the snowbirds have flown in and everyone's getting surgeries in general. So there's really not any need to rush this uh, surgery. And by the way, there really aren't any surgery rooms open. So you're going to have to wait for a couple of months. So I thought, okay, I guess that wow. is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until he said, you don't need to wait another day. You need this surgery tomorrow because you're HER2 positive and it, those cells are communicating and they're replicating. And if they're not in your lymph nodes today, they will be tomorrow. So you need to get your doctors to hurry the heck up. And that, it wasn't until that conversation that I really got, wow, you know what? They don't have a sense of urgency, but I need to be my own advocate and I need to have yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you so, say you interviewed 23 doctors? I did, did I hear that right? Yes. I, none of them were <laughs> listening to me. <laughs> I've never heard anybody interview that many before. You are tenacious, girl. I tell <laughs> you, that is amazing. Oh. But you know what? I love you because um, I, I, you know, I say those words. We don't know what we don't know. And, you know, you, you're speaking my language, girl. And, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where... Again, your doctors are telling you what you want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, oh, there's no rust. It's no big deal. It's la, la, la. And if you don't do something, if you've got that gut feeling or you think there's something wrong and you don't step up to the plate, oh, my goodness. It can mean the difference between maybe a, a, a little simple 
procedure versus a lot of treatment, or it could even mm-hmm. be a lot of treatment versus not not surviving this disease. So as we know, it can be very, mm-hmm. very serious depending on where we come in on this. So definitely. And then you have twins to deal with. I got to hear more about the twins. <laughs> well, they are, um, I definitely was dealt a hand I could, I think I can handle, but they're rambunctious. And you know, when you're thinking about surgeries, that was my big thing is I can't have, I already know, I've been told after I do this double mastectomy, you can't pick up your girls for six weeks. Well, they're at that point, they're 10 months old. How do you tell a mother you can't pick up your twins for 10 months? So, or for 10 months, for six weeks, that's just, that's very difficult to do. So, it was challenging, but I'll tell you what, the uh, the team that surrounded themselves or that uh, I was surrounded with were amazing and I could still hold them and I could still coddle them. I just had to have someone lift them up and give them to me. So, but oh. I also was determined to cut, you know, if you tell me a time frame, I'm going to cut it short. So if you tell me it's going to take <laughs> six weeks, uh-uh, it's going to take three or four, you know? So, right. um, yeah, so I, I worked hard to heal quickly and I feel like my athletic, um, body cooperated in that way and finally was giving me the results I needed because I did need to heal quickly for their for them oh of course yeah that makes complete sense so so just just understanding that you're going through this emotional piece of it and then raising little ones and of course your your mind is like I don't know did did you ever go to that dark place and think about oh Yes, yes. I think we're, well, if we're human, we go there every once in a while at some people. And that's, uh, that's a lot of the reason I wrote the book as well. We all know some folks who are more resilient than others when they are blindsided with the speed bump. And um, I would certainly classify myself as a very joyous person in the first place. Um, I would even say because I, I have a million friends that have said, thank goodness you don't drink caffeinated coffee. We don't know what we would do with you if you did because I wake up I wake up running and I wake up cheerful and joyful but I definitely still shared with everyone um, that knows me those very scary moments or those down moments and I definitely had my handful of those days of being very human and um, and I'd say my biggest fear was I knew I would unless you know hit by a car or something I knew I was going to see their first birthday but what I didn't know is, would I see their second? And then yeah, when I just oh. got to see their third, oh my gosh, I felt like, <laughs> wow, that was like cherry on, on the top yeah. of this wonderful Sunday. So yeah, I went there a few times in my head. Am I going yeah. to actually see their next birthday? Yeah. yeah. And Victoria, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about that transition in the next segment. Um, and we only have a, a couple more minutes until the break. But I would really like to go back to a little bit about your healthy lifestyle because I I know that you're a mountain biker which just Mm -hmm. blows me away because for me you know I get pedaling and and I end up pedaling so fast and the bike's not going anywhere and then it tips over and it's like (laughs) I don't even want to do this anymore so you know so I want to hear a little bit more if you could spend the next you know a couple minutes just talking about your lifestyle because you're the person who shouldn't get cancer 
Yeah, I I would agree. I just was shocked by that myself. Um, I wouldn't say that I was always healthy. I wouldn't say it really hit me until my late 20s when I really started traveling heavily for Marriott. And then at that point, I'd say I gained that freshman 15 they talk about, only it just happened to be a little bit later. Um, (laughs) and, And so I said, whoa, I need to do something about this. So but since my late 20s, all the way up until now, and I'm, I'm 44, um, I would say that I'm very active. I, you know, I do a lot of running and biking, and um, I used to do triathlons, and then I got into the off-road stuff, so really started mountain biking and skiing and scuba diving. And so I would definitely classify myself as, as active, maybe obsessive about it. Could I would argue some of my friends would say I'm obsessive about it because if I don't exercise at least six days a week, if not seven, in some form. Now, I'm going to use exercise loosely because I'm happy if it's even a hike um, with my girls. But if I am not active every single day, then uh, that's where I go a little bit crazy. So okay. definitely um, healthy from an active standpoint, not always healthy from a food standpoint. Um, never really been a fast food kind of person, but still I would say I didn't educate myself on how bad high fructose corn syrup is or any of the things that I tended to gravitate towards that weren't, I wouldn't classify as healthy. So I've had to shift that um, in the last few years for sure. But um, I still wouldn't say I'm not a heavy drinker, never smoked. Um, So yes, I would say that I was not supposed to be the typical unhealthy person that gets struck with cancer and, and breast cancer doesn't, um, isn't in my family. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know how recent that photo is of you and your husband that that I'm looking at, but you guys look like you're in your 20s for crying out loud. I mean, you're (laughs) a very attractive, healthy looking couple. So I really admire that. Listen, we're going to go out to break and we're going to talk more about all of this on the other side. So just please stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. So welcome back. We've been talking to the author of Living Loud, excuse me, Living Life Loudly, Victoria Porter Kramer. Thank you for being with us, um, Victoria. So let's go back to what made your journey unique obviously the fact that you were healthy and active that's definitely a piece of it but tell us a little bit more about what made your journey unique wow um okay so i think it's going to be a little bit of a combination of a little bit of crazy and a lot of um, corporate background so um, part of my mindset has always been you can be a victim in life or you can be a survivor and it's just it is a mindset so mm-hmm. it's a choice um, and I'd say what made me different is my strong background in strategy and execution um, I I had a girlfriend who said to me Victoria you're floundering right now with this diagnosis because you don't have a plan but you on a plan are unstoppable and right then it hit me wait a minute I've been trained. I've had a a 23-year history of being shaped and molded to know exactly what I need to do. I need to surround myself with the right team, so select the right team. I need to choose my mission statement. What is it that's really important to me? And then I need to write a strategy, get everyone on that team on board, and then execute. And I don't know that everyone tackles their medical diagnosis or for that matter if you get laid off from a job or you lose a loved one um, all of those speed bumps I don't know that everyone approaches it with that same kind of tenacity and um, and desire to be successful everyone has a desire to be successful but some may not have the right mindset for it and some may not have the right tools to actually execute and make it so that they become more resilient on the back end Mm, I love that quote. You and a plan are unstoppable. That (laughs) that is Mm -hmm. awesome because, you know, isn't that the way it is in life? You know, people who have a plan and they have a blueprint and, you know, that's kind of how we started Breast Friends, isn't it, Sharon? Absolutely. We we created a plan and, and now it's been almost 17 years and you know, it's still going strong. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I like that. That's good. Well, and it's it, it's interesting how when we when we have a different mindset, I think that's what it's all about is choosing not to be the victim. You know, like oh poor me, I got cancer. I'm not supposed to get cancer. I'm healthy. Why did this happen? Blah blah blah. I'm sure we all go through some of that, but again, it's a choice to get out of that mindset. And then, like you said, you created this plan, a strategy to move forward, and you worked your plan, and then you. Mm-hmm. You come out the other side. Now, obviously, that doesn't always mean if you take that strategy um, that you will live, you know, 50 years Mm -hmm. longer. But at the same time, the journey is going to be a lot easier for you. (laughs) 
Exactly. And I didn't even, I wouldn't say I even went into it feeling like, okay, my goal is that I will survive. I I hoped that that was going to be the outcome. But the goal that I ended up setting was through this, I want to display and share humor, tenacity, grace. And if I can actually do that, then the people that are coming along on this journey with me will end up having an easier time. And so I took it away from what was um, something about me and made it about the team that I was going to have to lead forward through this journey with me. And I think that probably helped because you're right, if you set a very prescriptive goal, um, you may not be able to achieve it. It's going to have to be something that, um, that is achievable. Right. Something out of your control. I mean, yes. that's, that's the thing. If you put something, I mean, figure out what you have control over and concentrate on that. And that's, that's right. what I'm, that's what I'm hearing you say. So, so what does it really mean then to you to live life loudly? Well, many people believe that when I say that, it means you've got to get out and, and do something crazy like mountain bike ride or whatever that looks like. <laughs> you don't. Or um, raise twins, you know. Or raise twins, you know, the <laughs> basics in life. Um, no, to me, living life loudly means that you don't put off anything for tomorrow that you could grab today. You've got to make it the best day you can today. Um, And some of that means considering every action that you take or every inaction, uh, if you had it to do over again, would you change it to make it kind of a bolder day? Um, And so living life loudly to me means living in the moment. Live with, if today was your last day, what are you going to do with it? It's Friday. Mm -hmm. That's right. It's Friday. It's March 10th. What are you going to do to make today the best day it could possibly be? And some of that, um, making a very decisive set of plans is living life loudly. So for me, it was, you know what, what is it that I wake up every day doing that doesn't give me joy? If Mm -hmm. there is something that doesn't give me joy, it needs to go away immediately. So for me, it was the news, the the news, the media. I don't know how many people wake up and say, I want to be inspired. So let's turn on the news this morning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with not very many, right? So I, I made a, a conscious decision. There's an action I'm going to take. I'm not going to watch the news because it doesn't give me joy when I wake up in the morning. In fact, sometimes it instills fear and sometimes it instills anxiety. Those are not things that I need as I go through this journey. So my action to live life loudly was to, to cut that out. Yes, it meant I might have missed a few important things like when I was sitting in the airport and they said, Anyone with a Galaxy something phone, you can't get on the plane. I was like, what's, what, what? Someone has a phone, can't get on a plane? Okay, I might miss a few big news pieces, like people's phones (laughs) catching on fire. But in the end, you end up finding that information as you need it, um, as opposed to it being kind of thrown in your face. So to me, living life loudly just means making choices, conscious decisions to make your day better in some way and to actively cut out the things that don't bring you joy um, and and I think right there is your living life loudly. Absolutely, and that conscious decisions. Don't put one foot in front of the other because that's what you did yesterday. Yep, exactly. Choose to put your pants on differently, for goodness sakes. That in itself is something different. 
<laughs> yeah, I, 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 my husband is very analytical. And again, he's very, you know, kind of one step and then the next step and whatever. So yeah, I, I, I think I'll encourage him to put his, you know, socks and, <clears throat> excuse me, his socks and his shoes on in a different order. <laughs> it, it totally changes your perspective. And I do that, like even going to the grocery store, I'll go, okay, instead of going left to right today, I'm going right to left. Let's just see if I see something I never usually see. <laughs> Well, it's and silly, that, but no, yeah. it's not really though, because again, sometimes we get so used to Routine. our status quo that mm-hmm. we have a hard time even seeing, um, uh, you know, the beauty or the or the differences. I know I love this time of year when all of a sudden the trees are starting to bloom, and you know the the flowers are. Co- you know, coming out of the ground, and you're just like, oh, I just love that. It's just the the new life gives me hope. I love that. I love that too. <laughs> so, great. so how did you make that transition from you know that kind of scary place? Um, it sounds like you have had these tools maybe when you went into it, but making that really conscious choice from fear to boldness. Um, what was your process, maybe, can I ask? Yeah, it, you know, it was a couple of, well, I say it was a couple of months process. It was probably, for me, a couple of weeks process, but it felt like a couple of months because I didn't truly, so although I stated that I was going to be strong and brave and tackle this, and I had to express it to my network to make sure that I could surround myself with the right team to help me get through it, I was saying the words, but I didn't actually feel it until a couple of months into the journey. And I will remember it very well. And unfortunately, I'm embarrassed to say I was a grumpy pain in the ass on (laughs) New New Year's Eve. I remember I was starting chemo um, five days later. And I just remember New Year's Eve, everyone's like, Happy New Year. And I'm like, it's not going to be a freaking Happy New Year. It's going to be a shitty New Year. Oh, yeah. You know, so in my head, I I was really struggling with it. And I tried to still put on a good face, but I really... Did not. I felt bad for anyone that sent me a text to say Happy New Year because I just wanted to punch everybody. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So um, so I was like, do you want to go through chemo? Because I sure don't. Um, And so I think that was, and that was, you know, two months into this journey. So although I had the good face on, I didn't have the right mindset to truly shift to being resilient until after my first chemo treatment. After my first one, I said, I've got this. I can do this. This sucked. It sucked ass, pardon my French, but but I can do this. And you know what? I'm going to go do a half marathon next week and all my girlfriends are going to fly in and support me and we're going to do this together. And I may be terrible at it, but I'm going to finish. And I'm going to remind my body that I can do this. So I kind of made that shift when I... I just had to put on my big girl pants and actually go through the movement and the action of, of going through my first chemo treatment. Surgery was, you know, dreadful and not great. And the healing through all of that wasn't fun, but it wasn't until I started chemo that I just had to make that shift. Mm-hmm. So you did a half marathon right know, in I the middle of yeah. chemo. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I, I'll be honest. I, there, I don't, think that's a really good idea. I think that was about <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever done. But you know did what? Did you finish it? I did. It was the last five miles were really hard. And I didn't think I was going to be able to cross that line. Um, but two of my girlfriends actually had to 
I hate to say it, they had to carry me across because my legs were cramping so bad. (laughs) And so they were like, no, 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 no. It's right there. You've got a half a mile to go. You're doing this. And so two of my best friends helped get me across because I was already to the point of walking. Um, It wasn't running. It was definitely walking. And they were like, nope, you're finishing this. And then perfect strangers. I had never met these people before. Uh were staged all across the route. um, And they were parents of of cycling friends and they got their kids out there with signs to cheer me on. And so all of that helped. Um, And then they were there at the finish line as well to say, that was hard, but you did this. And that's exactly what you're going to do with this cancer. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I would say all that's inspiring. That's, that's amazing. No, that That really is. Well, it reminds me of your story about going, doing the first race for the cure, Becky, after your, I I think it was after chemo, but still you were, no, I was in, I I was in the midst of it. Yeah. I was, I was in the midst of it all. That was in September and I was still doing, going through chemo. So I don't know if this counts, but I did the Komen 5k, which is what? 3.1 miles. Yep. And at the end of it, I felt like I ran a marathon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you walked, but it was still, it's one of those things. Where I did. And, you know, and I think I, you. I think I came in, there were about 35,000 people in the race that year. And they gave you all these little popsicle sticks when you came through with your number on it. And yeah. I think I finished at number 34,999 <laughs> or something. But, but I felt like a winner because people were clapping and cheering me on. Right. And I couldn't go through that turnstile at the end without tears in my eyes. I mean, I I truly felt like a winner when I did that. And there is so much power. Yeah, you so remind your mind and your body that you can handle more than you think yeah. you can. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very good. So, obviously, you have a great amount of tenacity, and we've heard some of your humor. And um, so, I, I have a question for you. Your willingness to consider options that aren't doctor recommended you sound like a like a rebel tell me about it yeah <laughs> I, uh, I guess I, I I would say my friends that may be listening might classify me as that um I just I'm not going to take something um at face value and believe that because I'm told that I've got to do it so um there will be times even when I was pregnant I was the same way the doctors would say you can't eat sushi well, then how in the heck do Japanese women eat it all the time and they're just <laughs> fine? Really? They're, they're pregnant and that's what they eat as, you know, their main diet. So and they I have would, beautiful hair. I mean, exactly. something's working. <laughs> so to me, I was like, yeah, I'm still going to eat sushi. Sorry. Or you know what? Don't eat fresh fruits and vegetables. Really? I kind of need that. So yeah. I, yeah, I just didn't listen. I'd said, no, that's not working for me. And um, my sweet oncologist, I know I gave her so many heart attacks and I know sleepless nights, but she would say, um, okay, so your next chemo round, um, it's going to be on this date. And I'd say, yeah, it's not really going to work for me because I've got a race. And she's like, she always, oh no, not again. Okay, well, I need you to get blood work done three days before that. And I'd say, it's going to be a little hard. I'm going to be in the middle of the desert doing a 24-hour mountain bike race, and we're not really near any hospitals. So what what can you do to work with me on this? And she would just shake her head and say, <laughs> do you have any idea what you're going to do if you crash? I'm like, well, I'm not going to crash. So <laughs> that's not an option. So yes, I definitely didn't do the safest choices always, but I would listen. I'd listen to their concerns. I'd listen to what they would recommend. And then I would choose the path that made sense for me or for me and my family. Um, 
and for me and my mindset. So yeah, it wasn't probably always a sane decision, but I, you know, I just bucked the system or um, insisting that I chose a naturopathic doctor and an oncologist that would communicate because I was going to be seeing both of them pretty much every other day of my life for this 18 months of chemo. So they both were getting blood work, but for different reasons. And one was to help me to be able to, you know, my naturopathic doctor is trying to help me to be able to keep my immune system strong and fight the cancer from one perspective. And then she's trying to, you know, give me the chemo therapy that's going to best work with my body. So they need to communicate and um, and communicate well, Eastern and Western medicine together. And that's mm-hmm. hard to find. But it I have, is hard to find. Mm-hmm. I, yes. We have a, we have a yeah. great facility here in, in Portland. It's Providence Medical Center, and they've got an integrative medicine department. And that is what they do. They they work with the with Eastern and Western. We have a naturopathic physician that I know really well. He's wonderful, and he works in conjunction with all the oncologists to make sure exactly what you're talking about that, you know, that they're breaking down the cancer and getting rid of it. And then his job is to build up that immune system, so yep. it, you know, you can get your body back faster. So, mm-hmm. really appreciate them for what they do. Um, so I have a question. We're going to go out to break in a couple minutes, but before we go. And then we'll pick up again on the other side. But tell us, now I wasn't even sure if this was a negative or a positive thing. So you're going to have to fill me in. Tell us about how a support group helped you hit the largest of speed bumps at full speed. That doesn't sound like a good thing, but (laughs) I'm going to let you explain that. For me, it is, I would think. Uh, Well, I like to work at warp speed anyway. So if I can hit a speed bump hard, I think that's probably pretty exciting. It launches you. Yeah, you're flying for sure. That's right. That's right. So uh, it's interesting. I struggled with finding a true support group. So I, I used the term network because I wasn't, I'm not the kind of person that's going to well, let's face it, I've got the attention span of a gnat, so I'm not going to sit in a church for an hour. I'm not going to sit in a conference room for a day. I just don't do those kinds of things well. So to sit in a support group where I didn't necessarily felt feel a connection wasn't going to work for me. So instead, what I did is I put myself in a place where I opened myself up to create a network of support, and that meant friends, family, people I had never met who would hear my story from a Facebook post that would then kind of get viral or a friend who would say, oh, I've got someone else going through this. Could you reach out to my friend Victoria and talk to her Um, or doctors? And I would say, hey, if you've got anyone in a similar situation, I'd love to be connected with them to ask them a gazillion questions. So it was my network that was my support group. And network is going to be a combination of social media network, um, uh, personal friends and family, extended friends and family. And so that group of people, even my racing teammates, I couldn't have done this without them because this speed bump broke down everything in me. Um, I I know this is going to sound horrible, but I had days where I would show up to my chemo treatment and if I sat in the lobby too long, I would go, you know what? No one would know if I didn't do this chemo treatment today. I'm going to leave, go get my mountain bike, and go bike for eight or nine hours instead of sitting here doing chemo for eight or nine hours. 
and no one will know any different. And then they'd call my name and I'd put on my big girl pants and go in. But I was what I'd consider a flight risk for sure. Flight <laughs> <laughs> uh, risk. And when, when my oncologist realized that I was a flight risk, she started making sure I didn't wait in the waiting room for very long. Um, but because <laughs> I recognized that, I said to my teammates, I need you guys. I need someone to drive me to my chemo treatments. If you don't, I may not go. And I know yeah. that sounds crazy, but it's horrible. It's not fun. I don't want to be there. I'd much rather be out biking. So <laughs> would you please drive me? And I, I can't tell you how many people were like, yes, let's let's get this done. So it was even that too. Um, after, so when I was on, I'm going to call it chemo light Herceptin, um, for that whole long stint, every single time I got that chemo treatment, I'd go out for a mountain bike ride and go climb a mountain to remind myself I'm strong and I'd throw it out and there was always someone willing to go ride with me. No matter what time I finished, they would drop everything and get on their bike in the middle of the day and help me get to the top of that mountain just so I could prove that I was strong again. And so every bit of... You are amazing. You are truly amazing. Sharon, I think we should go to Arizona and let some of her, like all this stuff just rub off on us a little bit. (laughs) So listen, For we need sure. to go out to break again. So we're gonna we're gonna take a, a couple minutes here. So stay tuned, keep listening because this is this is really an exciting conversation. So stay tuned, we'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. 
We've been talking uh, to the author of Living Life Loudly, Victoria Porter Kramer, and we just finished talking about support groups and speed bumps and all that, and I love that because uh, at Breast Friends, we talk about um, our girls' night out uh, as that's kind of the title of our support groups because, again, support groups can sound so awful and uh, so... (laughs) And can be pretty sad sometimes. So I love your support group network or your support network is wonderful. So let's switch gears just a little bit because I understand you have an interest in working with millennials. Yes, I do. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've I've mentored millennials professionally for a number of years um, and take on pro bono um leadership coaching to millennials that are coming right out of college and and about to go into their careers. So I've already done that and enjoyed that, and and it's very rewarding. But then I was um, reached out to by an online publication called onmogul.com and asked to do some online writing. So I started doing that, and I realized that there's an even bigger need for and and the whole concept of Bon Mogul is to mentor and to help um, other women to be able to be successful, and they just happen to be. I'd say their biggest audience is is millennials. So um, I started to recognize that there's a big need for us to mentor them, not just um, in life, but specifically when they're facing their speed bumps, because. What I noticed as I spoke to um, rotary group groups or I've talked to people that um, like yourselves who have been through breast cancer before, we're at a slightly more mature age. We've hit some pretty hard things in life already. You know, some have been through war. Um, some have had loved ones that they've lost. Some have gone through all of our economic cycles and had the ups and downs of the economy um, and financial troubles. So we've all had a variety of mentors in our life and speed bumps that we've already hit so that we're more prepared when we do get this very big speed bump um, cancer in our life that we we actually have a lot more tools um, in our tool belt than probably our millennials do. Mm-hmm. And the challenge and, and fear that I have is is that many of them are doing job hopping. So they don't stay in the same jobs as they once used to and because of that, there's a lack of mentoring that's really happening. Um, I, you know, I was fortunate. I started with Marriott when I was 18 years old and spent 18 years with them. Every single day, I was mentored by some incredible leader um, and, and had that background to be able to fight cancer in, in a different way. I don't know that the millennials today have a lot of that. I don't think that their relationships that they're forming are deep-seated enough to give them the confidence that they need to seek out mentors in the way that I think is is going to help them to be more resilient. You know, I it's interesting that you would um, talk about that because I just listened to a um, video about uh, Simon Sinek, is his name, I, love I think? that gentleman, Oh, yes. my gosh. And it was exactly about this topic and about how, you know, unfortunately our Facebook and, you know, those kinds of relationships that you have so many friends on Facebook, but they're really not friends. <laughs> They're yep. not re- deep relationships and 
how that is going to be a, a problem for them when they do have some, you know, whether it's relationship issues or health issues or job issues. Yeah, so this is a new topic that I'm interested in as well. So it's, it's interesting. So, so how, do, how are you helping them? Well, it's interesting. I, I think I was lucky, really. Um, one gal reached out to me. She's um, she's in Arkansas, and her she was diagnosed. Um, she's only 22 years old, I believe she is. Ugh. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, very aggressive, and stage three. And so her boyfriend found my book on Amazon and gave it to her. Well, she read it and then immediately sent me a Facebook Messenger note and said, I have some questions for you. I've read your book, and I'm going through this. Here's where I am in my process, and I'm terrified. And um, so I've had the pleasure. This young lady is just, she's delightful and amazing and got this great spirit about her. But she definitely has some, you know, many, many hard days. And she does a good job of of, uh, not letting it show on Facebook, but she definitely has her fair share of real moments. And so I'd say every other evening, we're going back and forth and I'm helping to mentor her through her mindset challenges. Mm -hmm. And so I want to continue to do that. So I hope that more people will reach out, more people as they continue to read my book or continue to hear the messages will simply continue to mentor millennials organically. Um, But I'd say that that's probably a big opportunity. And I'm sure there are very specific support groups for um, the younger generation that's getting cancer hit earlier in life. But I don't know that we've ever really specifically focused on let's mentor millennials um, through their breast cancer battle. You know, and so you're the you're you're breast friends for the millennials. (laughs) (laughs) That's an honor. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because usually breast cancer and millennials, you don't think of them in the same, you know, in the same ballpark, I guess, because generally breast cancer does hit people when they're a little bit older. So it is it is unique for them too. And so it's nice that there is... And the few that, that are hit, they have some different issues. Um, yeah. For instance, yes. we have one patient that's 26, and she's been married a year, and boom, chemotherapy throws her into menopause. Oh, my goodness. How, mm-hmm. you know, she hasn't had her family yet. I mean, so there's right. so many different issues that come yeah. up for a millennial uh, getting hit with something like a breast cancer diagnosis so early in life and um, so yeah there's definitely some new challenges that we all need to face um, when it comes to this stuff uh, it, you know it seems like it's getting younger and younger maybe it's just because I'm getting older and older but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was 40 it doesn't sound like you were much over 40 mm-hmm, Victoria no. Diagnosed. Uh, Becky was 43. So, you know, that's still pretty young in the big scheme of things. But 22 and 26, whoo, that's a whole nother ballgame. Absolutely. You know, before we run out of time on our show, and we still have a few more minutes, but I wanted to kind of talk with you about some of your, you you do a lot of things. I mean, I know you do some phenomenal work in the breast cancer community and I'm really just again blown away by your story but as I was looking at your website you do a lot of consulting and other things too so why don't you just give us like the short little kind of one minute version of summary I guess of the other things that you do and then we'll talk about how people can reach you. Sure. Um, I'd say I put them into two other buckets but the other things that I do are consulting and then um 
of course, the mountain bike racing and lead a, a, an actual racing team. But mm-hmm. the consulting side, it's uh, my company I started five years ago, VP Strategies, and I started it with an intent of really doing executive or leadership coaching. So coaching people up. Um, so if you're in a VP role, how do we get you into an SVP role or into the C-suite? And what is that going to look like? Are, are you going to be able to accomplish that um, in your current company, and I hate to say it, but men usually can. Women, so far, I've experienced, cannot. It usually takes leaving their company, but I, I kind of set out to really help improve some leaders who maybe hadn't had that kind of leadership training in the past and to help okay. them to become better leaders. Um, in addition to doing that, though, I ended up finding, you know what, I've got a pretty unique niche in that I help companies to make money. That's a lot of my background. So I do a lot of strategic planning as it okay. re- um, as it relates to sales. Excellent. And then um, the other pieces, I do a lot of communication strategies, help organizations as they go through transformations um, to really be able to communicate effectively to their entire organization or to the impacted parts of it. So okay. kind of a jack of all trades, but it's uh, that's my consulting business. Excellent. So how can people reach you if they want to talk to you about your consulting or get a copy of your book? Sure. So you can find a copy of my book on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way. Or you can reach out to me um, at my email address, victoria at vpstrategies.com. And that's VP like vice president. So victoria at vpstrategies, plural, dot com. Great. Well, we are out of time. I am just so sad to end this conversation because it's been so great. And so thank you, Victoria, for taking time out of your day. I know you probably want to get out there and get back on your bike. She was on her bike yesterday <laughs> when I when I reached out to her. It's like, yeah, I'm out biking right now, but I'll <laughs> check in with you later. Uh, I have, a, fe- I have a feeling we'll be we'll be talking to Victoria again. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling too. So so we do want to thank you. And for all of our listeners out there, um, Um, If you love listening to our show, and we trust that you do, because in January we had over 6,000 people listen in at some point in time. And if you'd like us to keep this show going, we'd encourage you to go to breastfriends.org. We have a lot of great resources on our website, but there's also a big blue button at the top of the page. And if you click on that big blue button, it says Donation. And you can make a donation directly to support this radio show um, or for any of our other programming that we do. So we would love to have you do that. And if you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Spend some time in our website and look at what we do. Look at some of the resources. There's a lot of Q&A on things to ask your doctor and all kinds of stuff. So, And if you also just need someone to talk to, you're welcome to call our office. And all the phone numbers are on there, too. So you can give us a call. We've got people who can talk with you. So just keep that in mind as you're reaching out with, to help other people, too. Send them our way if, if they need some help. So just know that we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, there's always hope. And we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.